Hey, Center Church, good morning and welcome. My name is John. I get to serve as a pastor here. Thank you for joining us online. As you may know, we're gathering in person today for the very first time, but so many of you may be traveling or just don't feel ready yet to show up to a public gathering. That's fine. I am so glad that you are with us. It's interesting because over the last couple of months, I've adopted some new things in my routine that make it feel less normal than usual. Uh, before, I never carried one of these. I didn't have one of these on me when I went out to eat to a restaurant. I didn't think about, do I need a mask or not? I also discovered that I had hand sanitizer in my car console. I didn't even know it existed. This is Give Thanks Sweet Cinnamon Pumpkin Antibacterial Hand Gel. And you can see I've actually kind of used it. Like, it's been good. But it's stuff I never thought about before. And there's part of me that as we're in the middle of summer now, I kind of just want to go back to normal. Like, if we're all honest, we probably want to go back to some of the, the normalcy of going to Meijer or going out to eat or getting gas and not having to worry about who touched the handle. Like, those are things I think about. Now, some of you are rebels and you don't think about any of that, which is fine. But uh, most of us are thinking about that right now. There's a tendency even in our culture to look at some of the situations going on and just ask, wouldn't it be nice to go back to normal? Uh, even things about like right now we're meeting as a church outside. So thinking about it'd be kind of nice to be inside. Like wouldn't it be nice to go back to normal? I don't really want to wear a mask anymore. It's really hot. It's 90 degrees. It's been 90 degrees for like three months straight or something. Can, can I not wear a mask? Or even worrying about how do I greet family members who I haven't seen in a while? How do I greet coworkers? Maybe you're going back into the office and you're worried about, do I fist pump or elbow bump or high five? And you just, you just don't know. I like normal because it's where I'm most comfortable. I like normal because I have a feeling, maybe an illusion, but at least a feeling that I'm in control of my life. I, I even like normal because in some ways normal is predictable. Some of you are like me. You have routines that you do every single day, maybe even rhythms of your specific week. Maybe you get groceries on the same day or you mow the lawn on the same morning. Like you do those kind of things. Uh, but COVID and just the season we've been in as a culture has disrupted a lot of that. And so I want to ask the question this morning over us as a church, over us as individuals, what if, in, what if God is not inviting us to just a, a different way of life that we now try to call normal, what if he's actually inviting us into something new? What if instead of getting back to normal as a church, as families, as people, as students and, and co-workers, what if God was inviting us to come back stronger, to come back different, to, to step into the new kind of normal he invites us into as part of the kingdom of God? Those are the kind of questions I want to ask today. And it's interesting because you think about the tension of living between, I wish I was a normal, but life definitely is not normal anymore. And we're stepping into just even a new culture and a new community as a church. We're stepping into new things. I think about that and immediately my mind drifts to the group who were meeting in the upper room in the book of Acts. As you look at Acts 1, which really is kind of the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, Luke penned both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. They're really two parts of the same story. As you begin in Acts 1, you find a group of people who are stuck in that place between what was and what is yet to be. 
between the things that are already and the things that are not yet. And so I want to invite you, if you have a Bible or device, turn with me to Acts 1, and let's read this scripture out together. Luke writes, in my former book, Theophilus, and you're like, who's Theophilus? Theophilus was likely a a patron or a supporter. Uh, He was backing Luke's work financially. He could have also been a close friend of the ministry of these disciples. Uh, Either way, he's writing to Theophilus and saying, in my former book, writing about the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, meaning the cross, He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, talking about the prophet, the the forerunner to Jesus, But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And instead of water, you'll be baptized in my presence, is what Jesus is saying. So they gathered around him. And and I would be thinking a lot of things in that moment. I would be wondering, okay, how is that going to happen? How does this connect with the mission he gave us to go make disciples of all nations? Like, don't we need to have a plan for that first? But this is what Jesus says. uh, The people in, in the room say to Jesus, They ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like, are are you going to bring us back to the glory days of Israel? Are you going to bring us back to normal, which was Israel being on top and all of our oppressors, including the Roman Empire, being crushed under our feet? Isn't that what you're about to do? That's probably a fair question. Aren't you going to get us back to normal, is what these disciples are saying. Look at how Jesus responds. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says. If you like to underline or circle things in your Bible like I do, circle that word witnesses. We're going to go back to that. What I think is interesting is in this conversation, what the disciples wanted from Jesus was a plan. Give us a strategy. Let us know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, There's been people throughout history, specifically in America, who have made a living off predicting when Jesus is going to return or what the end times are like or are we living in them right now. And asking, are we living in the end times to Jesus is kind of like asking, are, are you dying right now? Well, not exactly, but to put it morbidly, yeah, I am. I'm act, my body's decaying slowly, no matter how hard I try to fight that. And Jesus is saying, it's not for you to worry about. Here's what I think is most important for you as disciples. It's to be my witnesses in every region, in every neighborhood, in every country, of the world, a mission that honestly, as we look around the scope of our, of our planet, has not been accomplished yet. These disciples, though, they want a plan. How is that going to happen? But Jesus invites them to wait, to pause, to rest, 
to, to ponder what he's doing. And even though they remembered when Israel was on top and they wanted the glory days, they wanted those days back, they wanted normal. Jesus wanted something new. He wanted them to be witnesses. And ultimately, he wanted them to experience the power of his Holy Spirit. And he asked them to wait on that gift. The word witnesses has echoes all throughout the Old Testament, but specifically in Isaiah 49. In Isaiah 49, the prophet brings up this whole idea that Israel was, was supposed to be, and at times succeeded, but most of the time failed, at being a witness to the cultures around them, that God was in fact the one true God, that following him was the very best way to live and to flourish and to experience his blessing. And, and to all the idols of the day, to all the religions of the day, to all the systems in the cultures around them, they were supposed to be witnesses for a different and better way. Not to adjust to the normal or to even go back to what the way things were, but to come back stronger as a culture, as God's people. So let's keep reading in Acts 1. It says that then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. So they do the first part of what God, or Jesus in the moment asked them to do. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. It's kind of odd because later you read in Acts that there was likely around 100 plus people in the room. 120 is one of the, the details Luke gives us, and there could have been much more at the time. Now, these rooms would have, again, provided by people like Theophilus who had wealth or means and ability to host large gatherings of people. So they're not in the church. They're actually likely in someone's home or gathering space in a home. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Here's what they do. They all join together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Not only is Jesus' family in this room, his closest disciples are in the room. His friends are in the room. His followers who have kind of jumped on the bandwagon post-resurrection may even be in the room. And instead of coming up with better plans for how to reach the nations or figure out what it means to be witnesses and how the Holy Spirit's going to come, shouldn't we just get moving? Shouldn't we go back to normal what we were doing before? They instead pray constantly. In fact, we later figure out it's about a 10-day period that they constantly are in prayer and discernment and seeking God's Spirit and seeking His presence to fall in their midst. You may be gathering right now at a campsite. You may be gathering uh, and watching this later on as you gathered with us in the room, or I should say in the parking lot <laughs> at church. And it's often tempting for us to view those small gatherings in the same way that they may have viewed this gathering in the upper room. Well, it's kind of smaller than I thought it would be. It's definitely more confusing about what did Jesus mean to wait and the Holy Spirit was going to come than I thought it would be. It's definitely full of anticipation for what is next, but there's also the temptation to drift back into normal. What makes matters worse is this all is taking place during the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, which literally means 50 days, was this section of time and ultimately a festival 
in which they celebrated God's blessing on their agriculture and crops. And so they bring the, the first fruits, if you will, of the grain back to God. It's an offering. But people would make this pilgrimage from all over Israel coming to Jerusalem. And so these disciples may have had family or friends who were in town for that. So again, I, this may just be me. But if I'm in that upper room and I'm waiting on that promise, I'd be making a plan and I'd be getting out of there to head to the family barbecue. Like I'd get, Peter, go get the whiteboard. James, grab some markers. Let's figure this out. Let's strategize. Let's lay out our plans and then let's move on with the rest of our day. But for 10 days, they don't plan anything. They pray. And God shows up in a really incredible way. The result of this radical culture of prayer, which included women who were not typically included, which included maybe followers who had some skepticism about this, which included the most devoted followers of Jesus in this room. What results from this incredible move of prayer is a move of God's Spirit in a way that the world had never seen before. We call it now Pentecost. You can read about this event in Acts 2 where God's Spirit literally falls on this band of believers, and it changes the course of history and births the church as we know it. In fact, you're watching this online because you are now a part of that movement that started in Acts 2. But before Acts 2 happened, Acts 1 happened. Prayer. It was central and it was constant to the move. And you can read throughout the entire New Testament, prayer and the Holy Spirit are never separate. Paul often writes about praying in the Spirit at all times, at all, in all occasions, making supplication, actually asking for things, praying God's will into certain situations, praying for powerful miracles to take place, healings, resurrections. All of it is never separate from the Holy Spirit. And church, I want you to hear this. Whether you're watching uh, after the fact, maybe you're sitting at home all by yourself, still not sure what COVID looks like for you and your family, I want you to hear this. When we lead, our plans lead the way. When the Spirit leads, our prayers lead the way. Let that sink in for a moment. See, when we lead, when we sit in the driver's seat, when we decide to be king of our own lives, ultimately, our plans lead the way. And what we find out, the more our plans lead the way, is that ultimately, those become disrupted by pandemics, by racial injustice, by economic collapse, by a job loss, by a divorce. Those things get disrupted. But when the Spirit leads, when we put God back in His rightful place in our hearts and in our lives and in our bank accounts and in our calendars, actually what happens is our prayers lead the way. We become more Spirit-filled and discerning and wise and prayerful people. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a British theologian, I love what he writes about this. He says, the quickest way to quench the Spirit stop out the spirits moving in your life is actually to not obey an impulse to pray. To not obey when you sense, I should pray about this. You actually lose that sense of God's spirit and voice. If you want to get better at hearing God's voice or knowing his will or experiencing the power of his Holy Spirit, it starts in prayer. It starts by bringing those needs before God. Here's what's true. that The invitation right now for the, for the grandmother who's hurting because of COVID, either physically or financially, is to pray. The marriage that hasn't gotten better 
in this time where we've been kind of squashed together in homes, it's actually gotten much, much worse, is to pray. For the college student who's wondering, what does this fall look like? Who's nervous about job plans and classes and is more confused about politics and race and gender and faith than they ever have before, is to pray. For a church like our church, that's facing some significant challenges in this season, who has staff to hire, who's seeking God's will for a permanent facility, who's, who's wondering what do the next 10, 15 years look like as a church? Church, our invitation is to pray. It's to seek God's will, it's to discern, God, what are you doing? And then take action. See, when we face a crossroads often in our life, it's we take action and then we pray. We make a plan and then we pray. But that's not the model the disciples give us, and that's certainly not the way the church began. The church started with a prayer meeting. And what will sustain the move of God's Spirit in our church and our churches that we're a part of is continual prayer, is constant prayer. What's really interesting is what we learned as leaders and maybe what you learned as a person during kind of the stay-at-home order season that we are just kind of coming out of is really that, that one of the first things we decided to do was to gather online for prayer. We felt as leaders, I felt as your pastor, that that was something we needed to, to drive into the ground, to put an anchor in our week despite so much change and so much turmoil in the world, so much unknown about the virus itself was just to pray, was to gather and to bring requests before God and to learn what it meant to be a person of prayer. And so we did. For months, we gathered at eight o'clock online and we joined in prayer. We learned what it meant to be people of prayer. We studied prayer. We practiced different ways of praying. We prayed through scripture. A friend at center commented to me, Really, John, this was the first time I had a regular rhythm of prayer outside of Sunday morning. And I celebrate that. But I actually know what that's like because the first couple of years of following Jesus for me, uh, the most prayer I ever had in my day, in my week, was Sunday morning. And normally it was other people praying on my behalf. It wasn't me actually praying. Well, I was in college at the time, and I remember sitting in a chapel service. I went to a Christian university. Um, and I didn't skip them like some of you who go to Christian universities might be tempted to do. I actually went to all of them. I really enjoyed the process. And so I was sitting there one night in kind of a special night service we had. The speaker was talking about prayer and preaching from the Old Testament. And uh, I can't really fully describe to you what took place. But similar to the experience that the disciples had in Acts 1 and 2 is what I had personally. There's very rare times that I have wept uncontrollably and loud and ugly in front of other people. This time was one of them. And I just felt the burden of the Holy Spirit on my life. And I begin to look around at some of my best friends who are a couple rows apart from me. The same thing was happening to them. The chapel was totally silent and all you could hear was the weeping of different people sprinkled throughout this chapel service. It was the Holy Spirit moving. And what birthed out of that was a prayer movement. We, we felt as students that in our small Christian college, we needed to pray without ceasing. 
And so we began. We started that night praying 24-7 for an entire semester. And during that, when people were waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning or praying during lunch and fasting, what happened was not only did we change, but some of the circumstances and obstacles of our life changed. There were friends who had family members who were far from God, who got on the phone and began sharing the gospel with them, and their parents were led to Christ. There were people who experienced physical healing. There were people who experienced financial provision, not sure how am I going to pay for the next semester, who were praying for that as part of this 24-7 prayer movement, who experienced miraculous checks in the mail. Church, that is not limited to a college campus. That is not limited to my experience. Those kinds of moves of God should be commonplace for us as a church. Because we don't operate like the rest of the world operates, making plans and trying to figure it out on our own. We operate as spirit-filled, led people. We pray. Because when we lead, our plans end up leading the way. When the spirit leads, our prayers lead the way. It changed everything. You may be wondering, okay, that's a lot of information. And, and am I really supposed to believe that I can live that kind of life that the disciples lived in Acts 1 and 2? Well, the rest of the New Testament and the church before us and the church that will come after us will say, yes, it is possible. Things do change when we pray. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's the circumstances we're praying for. But I want to encourage you to do one really simple thing. In this world of masks and sanitizers, in a world that doesn't feel like it did six months ago, I want to encourage you to, to begin now building that foundation of prayer. Because that will change you. Maybe today you just you lay the first brick. You decide, before I step into work this week, I'm just going to take a minute and pray. Before I put my kids down to sleep, it's normally a stressful and chaotic time for me. I'm going to decide to pray with them before bed. Maybe for you, you've lost some of the rhythms you had as a family maybe a couple years ago. Maybe that's joining for prayer together around a dinner table. Maybe that's praying before big decisions. Maybe that's just praying over your family members or people you know in your neighborhood who are far from God together. I want to encourage you to lay that first brick. For us as a church, some things are going to change today. Culturally, there's some things we're going to do different. For example, in our services, we're going to create more time for prayer. We're going to create more time just to sit and to discern what the Spirit is saying and what God wants to say to us. We cannot be the church God wants us to be without taking time to pray. We're going to begin gathering at 9.15 before our service at 10 o'clock just to pray. To pray through our space, to pray for whoever's preaching, to pray for God to move in our times together. Because more than great services, more than great songs, more than great sermons, what we need is God's Holy Spirit to fall on us. What I need is God's Spirit to move and to control and to guide my life. If I want to live the kind of life that comes back stronger. I want to pray for you, specifically, that God would do this work in you. And that wherever you're at, if you're at a campsite or driving home from vacation or sitting in the living room together with your family, I want to pray over you that God would begin to help you lay that foundation of prayer and spirit-filled living and leading in your homes and in your workplaces. So would you pray with me?
Jesus, thank you that your promise for these disciples to be witnesses as the Holy Spirit comes is just as real and relevant and possible today. So God, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit? Would you, my, for my friends and brothers and sisters who are watching on the other side of this camera, God, would you allow them to experience right now, wherever they are, the supernatural touch of your Holy Spirit. I pray that no matter what backgrounds they're facing, no matter what their experience has been like with the Holy Spirit or not, whether it's weird or they're not sure, they don't even know what I'm talking about at all, God, that your presence would be felt and known today in our church. God, I pray for us as we're taking our steps forward to come back stronger as a church, that you would give us just a sense of your spirit moving in a way that we've not really seen before. I pray as we make some of these commitments to lay some of these bricks down for this foundation that you would move in a way that we only can give you credit for, that we only can attribute to your Holy Spirit at work. We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen.